morning comes from the book of John, chapter 9, verses 1 through 41. As he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's hands, eyes, saying to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, No, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put mud on my eyes. Then I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that now he sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind, and they said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. 
We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born entirely in sins, and you are trying to teach us. And they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say, We see, your sin remains. This is the word of God for the people of God. I think Patricia deserves a medal. This is probably the longest scripture that, uh, of the year. <laughs> Go ahead, thank her. <laughs> Uh, you did a wonderful job, Patricia. This is the lectionary, so. Uh, but if you, if you if you read that text, I mean, really, there's a lot packed in there, and, and really to get the whole understanding and story of it, you you really do need to read all 41 verses. But thank you, Patricia, for doing that. Let us turn to God in prayer. Dear Lord, help us to see the wisdom of these words and and to hear your voice and to know what it is you're trying to say to us. So speak to us, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Have you ever felt alone? Have you ever felt abandoned by God? Have you ever felt like God was hiding? If, if you've ever been through any difficulty in life, it's, it's really not unreasonable for you to feel that way. My wife, Cheryl, and I went to see The Shack on Friday. I don't know if any of you had a chance to see that. It's based on a book by the same name, and it, it, uh, it revolves around a man by the name of Mackenzie. They call him Mac, who, um, who was abused as a child, and, um, and later, a- after uh, he marries and has a family, his youngest daughter is abducted and murdered. And The Shack represents the place of his pain. He, uh, the police take him there, and that's where uh, they discover the blood-stained uh, dress of his daughter. And throughout most of the movie, the, the body of the child is, is not to be found, and so that just simply adds to his pain and his anguish. He, he returns to the shack and eventually encounters uh, three individuals who represent God, who represent the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and he lashes out at them. He, he brings to that shack his anger, his, his frustration. And, and, and it, it's, um, it's very poignant the way that he shares that anger with God and says, where, where were you? Where were you when, uh, you know, my daughter was taken? And, and even if you didn't cause it, why didn't you stop it? That's what he wanted to know. 
in so many ways, what, what he was really saying to God was that God had abandoned him in his time of need. In my first church, not long after I had arrived there from seminary, I got to know a woman by the name of Phoebe Parson. She was, um, she was really a pillar of the church. If the doors of the church were open, she was there. Uh, she visited shut-ins. She, uh, she helped cook. And when we had fellowship meals, she was just always there. She was really a saint of the church. Uh, I was called back from a conference in Blackstone one day uh, because there had been a murder in, in the church. And what I discovered is that Phoebe Parsons had been brutally murdered by a drifter who happened to be living next door at that time. Uh, you may have heard his name, Richard Whitley. He was the, um, the first person to be executed in Virginia after the uh, capital punishment was reinstated. Well, you can imagine what that death, what that murder uh, meant to our church and the pain that so many people had experienced. One fellow by the name of Larry, a member of the church, an active member of the church, uh, was an EMT at the time, and he was one of the first responders that went to her house, not knowing that he was going to her house. And he was one of the people who had to carry her her uh, ravaged body uh, out, out of that home. Uh, he was so angry with God, he stopped coming to church. For many, many years, he would not darken the door of any church because of his anger. He, and, and he would often express to me that anger and say, where was God in all of this? Where, where was God? Was, was God somehow hiding? Had God abandoned Phoebe Parsons of all people? How could God allow such a, a horrible thing to happen? Well, Mackenzie and Larry are not the only people who have ever felt that way. They're not the only ones who have, who have experienced difficulties and have found uh, that feeling inside that God had somehow abandoned them. The Bible is full of such examples. One of the most... Uh, important ones, of course, is Jesus himself on the cross. Remember how he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, the son of God, was feeling forsaken by his heavenly father. He was quoting scripture. He was quoting the psalmist who wrote in Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So even before Jesus, there was a writer of, of the scriptures that, that felt that same anguish, that same sense of abandonment by God. But that was not the first time the psalmist had written words similar to that. In Psalm 13, the psalmist wrote, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Over and over again, we hear the psalmist crying out those, those words. And remember the Israelites when uh, they were led to freedom out of Egypt, out of their bondage, and they made their way into the wilderness, and they probably thought that they would come to the promised land perhaps in a matter of days or weeks or certainly maybe a few years, but they wandered for 40 years, and they had reached that point where they were hungry, they were thirsty, and they probably felt they had been abandoned by God. They wanted to go back. They complained to Moses. Why did you bring us out into this wilderness so that we could die of starvation? At least we had food back in Egypt. They wanted to go back and be, become slaves again. 
That's how abandoned they felt. You remember the story of Lazarus, how uh, Jesus was told that his friend Lazarus was ill, and he, he, he waited for a while. He waited several days to make sure that Lazarus had died because he wanted to go to Bethany, go to his home, and raise Lazarus from the dead. He told his disciples he was going to do that. And when he gets to the town of Bethany, Martha comes running out to him, and she is absolutely incensed with Jesus because he didn't come in time. She says in John eleven twenty one, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. As if to say, there's nothing you can do now. Thanks a lot for coming. We sent word to you and told you when he was ill. But wh- where were you? You abandoned us, Jesus. You didn't come Why didn't you come when he was ill? And then Mary, Mary didn't know that Jesus had arrived at that point. She was still in the house. She was still grieving the loss of her brother. When word came to her that that Jesus had arrived, she goes out. And remember, Mary has that really kind of special relationship with, uh, with Jesus. She's the one, remember, that sits at his feet in their house and listens to him intently while Martha is in the kitchen busying herself with work. So you would think, well, Mary, Mary will understand Jesus. She's going to come out there and say, thank you, Jesus, for coming and being here. I really needed you here, and I'm really glad you're here. And and he's over there in the tomb, and I, I can't wait for you to raise him. That's what you might imagine that Mary would say. But what does she say in the 32nd verse of chapter 11? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You can almost hear the anger in her words. If only you had been here, he wouldn't have died. From time to time, if we're honest, we've probably all felt the way that Mary and Martha have felt. If only you'd been here, Lord. You could have stopped that tractor trailer. You could have stopped that robber. You could have stopped that hurricane or that tornado or that war or that holocaust. Lord, if you had only been here, you could have done something. But no, you were hiding from us. The question is, is God hiding or are we simply blind to God's presence? I want you to imagine this picture. Students file into a lecture hall. One by one, they take their seats all ready for the morning lecture. Professor goes to the front of the room. He makes a few marks on the board. He turns toward toward the student body and begins the lecture. Then a young woman who's sitting about halfway up the lecture hall, she gets up out of her seat and she makes her way down one of the aisles, approaching the professor She pulls a gun from her purse and she shoots him. And then she exits. Across the room, another student stands up, a male student. He he comes down the aisle and he, he comes to the professor ostensibly to come to his aid. And then he exits following the woman out of the lecture hall. The students sit in stunned silence. Then the professor stands up and asks the students to write down what they've seen. Now, there are a hundred different accounts of what happened in those few moments. Some of the people say that the man, the male student, shot the professor. Others say that there were two shooters. Some say the shooter came from outside 
the hall. Others say there was one shot, and others say that there were as many as six shots before the professor fell to the floor. The class it was on criminal law, and the lecture was on the value of eyewitnesses and why forensic science and material evidence would be far more important in a trial than, than the accounts of eyewitnesses. Is God hiding, or are we just poor eyewitnesses? Are we blind to God's presence in our lives? That's the question for this morning. That's the fearless question that we ask ourselves today. Now, in the story of the healing of the blind man, if you recall, the disciples saw something very precise when they saw this man who was born blind. They saw someone to blame. They didn't know who to blame, but they figured somebody needed the blame. They asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned? Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? The first words out of their mouth, they're looking at a man who is perhaps begging with a cup, a tin cup, asking for a few alms, a few coins. And what do they see? They see blame. Who sinned? Why, why is he like he is, Jesus? Who sinned? This man, did he do something wrong or did his parents and he was, since he was born blind? Now, just in case you want to become a little self-righteous and say, well, I would never do that, think about it. When you read in the newspaper or see on the television about a robbery or some other crime, do you ever find yourself just kind of wondering, why was the victim where they were at that time? Why in the world would they be in that part of town at that time of day or night? Don't you do that? I do that. Don't you, don't you ever kind of try to imagine what would put a person in that predicament? Uh, partly because you kind of want to say, well, I would never be there. So are, are, you, are you looking for blame? Are you looking for blame like the disciples were looking for blame? Or when you read or hear a story about a woman being assaulted or raped, do you ever wonder if the woman was drunk or was she at a party that she shouldn't have been at? Uh, did you ever wonder, well, she was absolutely stupid to do what she did. And look at the way she dressed. She dresses so provocatively. No wonder something like that would happen to her. Do you ever do that? It's like looking for blame. What about <laughs> my wife as a teacher, second grade? She loves her students. Parents, she's got to work at it. <laughs> if she sends a report card home and a child has a grade that the parent doesn't like, guess who's to blame? It's the teacher. What's, what's this, this grade that you've given my child? Something's going wrong in your classroom. and It must be the school. It's the whole system. I hope I haven't stepped on any toes. <laughs> Too often we blame others, you see, for our own mistakes, our own failings, our, our own shortcomings. Sometimes we even wrongly blame ourselves for the mistakes of others, like a child who blames his or her, herself for the divorce of the child's parents. 
What did I do wrong? What, what could I have done to keep them together? Why is it that they don't love each other? Is it something I've done to kind of get in the way of that relationship? Or if there's a suicide, family and friends often ask themselves, could I have said something to stop that? What, am I partly to blame? Was there something I did or said that, that caused them such pain that they would take their lives? You know, see, we do that. We look for blame like the disciples looked for blame that day. Well, the Pharisees, what did they see? They saw a sinner. They didn't see the miracle. They didn't see the wonderful miracle of a man who was born blind who could now see. What they saw was the sinfulness of Jesus. This man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath, they say in verse 16 of our lesson. Jesus had the audacity to heal this man on the Sabbath. He broke the Sabbath law. And that's all that the Pharisees saw. They were blind to God's presence, to the power of God's miracle. God wasn't hiding. They simply refused to see God. We do the same thing. We look at people and we don't see their goodness because we see only the way they dress. We see their skin color. We see their social position or perhaps we see their party affiliation. And we don't see the goodness in their lives. We see the sin of the person rather than the person. We see the drinking or the drug abuse the foul language, the people they associate with, and we're blind to the work of God in their lives. And the parents of the blind man, they saw something entirely different from the others. They saw danger. Not the wonderful miracle, the wonderful sight of a healed son. When they were brought before the Pharisees and asked if, if uh, Jesus was the man who healed their son, they said, ask him. He's, he's of age. In other words, they didn't want to be associated with this Jesus because, well, there was danger in that. They'd be put out of the synagogue. They were afraid of the Jews. They saw the danger and not the miracle. Their vision, you see, was clouded by fear. Had they always been afraid? Maybe they were always afraid because they were embarrassed by their son begging on the outskirts of the town. Did they feel cursed or were they afraid perhaps that they would become cursed by associating with someone who was? We do the same thing. We see the danger of immigrants. We see the danger of lost jobs or changing society. We see all the possibilities of things going wrong in our culture and we don't see the possibility of what God can do with these circumstances. When new ministries are proposed or church budgets are, are brought before us as people of God, we often are afraid that we won't have the resources. We're afraid that we're going to fail. And so sometimes we don't even attempt to do some things in the life of the church because we're afraid we will fall on our faces. We don't see how God could ever provide. At first, even the blind man is blind to his healing he sees the miracle. He sees that he can now see with his, with his eyes. But he doesn't see the one who brought that miracle in his life. He, he doesn't see the miracle worker named Jesus. 
when Jesus finally goes to him later, after he's been before the Pharisees and after the crowd has dissipated, he, Jesus takes him to the side and he asks him, do you believe in the Son of Man? And, and the blind man says, and who is he, sir? He, he doesn't even know who brought his eyesight back. He didn't even know that it was Jesus who healed him. We're like that. We're, we're blessed with countless blessings in our lives. We don't even know that they come from God. We're given life and health. We're given families and jobs. We're given so many wonderful blessings, and yet we still think God is hiding. Is God really hiding, or are we blind to God's presence in our lives? You know, when the blind man asks, and who is he, sir? If you recall in the scriptures, Jesus says, you have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. But he really said far more than that. It sounds kind of nice. Well, I'm the son of man. If you want to see him, here I am. But he says so much more. Remember last week, John visited us and told us a little bit about the woman at the well who who said, one day the Messiah will come. And Jesus responded by saying, uh, well, the one who is speaking to you is he. And and, um, I I am the one who's speaking to you. I'm I'm the Messiah is the way we look at it. But remember, John told us that um, there was a lot more to that. Remember, he recalls Moses going to uh, that burning bush who tells him to go to Pharaoh and free his people. And Moses says, well, how can I do that? And out of the burning bush, God says, tell them I am sent you. And the I am, of course, is that tetragram, Y-H-W-H, which can be Yahweh or Jehovah, the same word, depending on what vowels you put in the consonants of the Hebrew language. And later, there were some 70 uh, Greek scholars that translated the Old Testament into Greek, uh, and that book is known as the Septuagint. And when they came to that place, they, they translated the I am, they translate it as ego e me, two separate Greek words, ego e me. And remember, when the woman at the well said, one day the Messiah will come, Jesus didn't just say, I'm he. He, what Jesus said is ego e me. In other words, he said, I am the God of the burning bush. Said a lot more than what the English uh, portrays. Well, guess what? Right here, when the man says, who is he, sir? Who is this son of man? And Jesus replies, you have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He doesn't say, ego e me. He speaks in the third person, and he says, e kenos estan, which is the same as ego e me, but it's in the third person, he he is. You won't find that phrase anywhere else in the Bible except in the Gospel of John. You will not find ego e me anywhere but in the Gospel of John. You will not find ego e me in the Old Testament except in the Septuagint whenever the word Yahweh is translated into ego e me. That's how profound these words are. What Jesus is saying to the man who was born blind, if you're wanting to know who brought sight to you, it is God who brought it to you. It is the God of the burning bush. It is the God who made you. God is not hiding from us. We're just blind to God's presence. We see blame. We see sinners. We see fear. And a lot of times we just see coincidence, not God's incidents. 
Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. God did not make the man blind. God did not kill my parents. God did not cause the pain in your life. But if you look closely, God will show you the way out of that pain. God will transform evil into good. God is not hiding if we but have the eyes of faith to see. Let us pray. Lord, give us the eyesight of faith. Amen.